Dotnet Rocks episode 621 with guest Miguel de Acaza, recorded live Tuesday, December 14th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. It's good. It's .NET, man. It's .NET. Miguel de Acasa is here. We'll be with him in just a second. But first, better know framework. Awesome. You better. What do I need to know? So, you know, I'm, I'm always revisiting the fundamentals lately because, man, it seems like we all know this stuff, and we've learned it years ago, but there's so many people who are just getting into .NET now uh, for after the longest time. So I'm going to talk about the system.service process oh. uh, namespace. Uh, this is where you can create and install and manage Windows services, which are long-running programs that basically run under a particular user account in Windows. You have a service base, which is a base class for doing services. You have a service controller, which is um, a, uh, a Windows service that controls another one. You also have the service installer. Mm-hmm. And all of this stuff is wrapped up nicely in the Visual Studio Windows service project type. But the installation of a service requires a little bit of, uh, of sleuthing. So, uh, But there are command line tools for you to install a Windows service. There is a way to do it with PowerShell. There's a way to do it with most install programs. And um, look into it. System.service process. Awesome. That's all I got. Who's talking to us? Stuff you need to know. Yeah. No doubt about it. All right. Uh, it's a bit of a long email, but I think it's a goodie. Okay. It's about show 618, which is not that long ago. All right. Hello.net rocks and see how I carefully avoided the Carl and Richard issue. <laughs> the, the issue. It's apparently an issue. Who knew? Just wanted to let you know how much I appreciated the conversation on data access. That was 618. But mm. I want more. Yeah. I feel that several points made during the discussion, as well as the audience input, was very much understated in terms of just how complex data access has become and its resulting impact on application design. As briefly mentioned in the show, the world of asynchronous development as well as remote data access is upon us, mostly due to the influence of Silverlight. Mm. As much as I and Carl love the simplicity of ADO.net, sending data across the wire in these constructs is just not possible because the class won't serialize. Yep. I've been working with Silverlight and WCF for over a year and still feel I really don't have a solid handle on this technology. I say that with some hesitation because I've never had anything take me more than a year to learn. Maybe it's just me. When I say learn, I mean learn it to the point that I feel comfortable charging my clients for expertise in the design and or development using these technologies. Mm Mm-hmm. Although Microsoft is doing their best to provide quote-unquote demoware to show us the various technologies, every aspect of implementing this technology in the enterprise is not trivial. Right. These .NET Framework APIs are deep, wide, and complex. 
Sure, you can spin up a service bus endpoint or a WCF endpoint of a server, but do the architects or technical leads understand the complexity of the security, instancing management, remote and distributed transactions, binding issues and choices, API design, and etc. for distributing the application when faced with enterprise requirements? My head hurts just thinking about it. <laughs> Developers from ASP.NET and our WinForms, as I was, are so out of their league when starting with the learning curve of WPF, WCF, asynchronous development, blend, MVVM, and Carl, your points on events and MVVM was spot on, but not answered, etc. Not to mention the latest developments in async and awaiting keywords, the RX framework, that's the reactive framework, mm -hmm. uh, PLink. WCF Data Services, WCF RIA Services, REST, OData, Azure, ACS, Service Bus, HTML5, WebSockets, the list goes on. Stop Let alone the, the release insanity. cycles that these teams are putting out. Right. I would love to see .NET Rocks have more in-depth discussions, if not a separate show, that would just speak and expose this dramatic change in building enterprise systems. Design and development of RIA applications is what the future holds, and the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out just what I should know, let alone knowing if I still got what it takes to understand it and be good at it. Mm. Keep up the great work. I love the sound quality of the shows. All podcasters should take note. Yeah. Regards, Richard Rukima. P.S. It's cold in Canada and I need a mug. <laughs> well, uh, wow. What do you say? Except that I, I don't know as if we can do enough shows to make .NET any less complex. You know, I mean, we can help you understand it, but it's still, at the end of the day, pretty damn complex. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, I, and I feel like we've done a bunch of these shows. Like, when I think about Brian Noyes' show on Prism, which is really about trying to get your head around that enterprise contract where you don't have to own it all. Yeah. Uh, and you've all shows on WCF are intense, mm. but uh, they certainly give you an idea of how sophisticated some things are. Maybe we need to talk a little more about service bus more, Maybe. and more coordinating all these different services. Yeah, uh, we're thinking about it, Richard. Yep. We'll figure it out. We will. And uh, and I'll send you a mug. I think you earned it. That was a great email. Thanks so much. And if you've got some questions, concerns, criticism about a show, just want to say hi, send us an email, .net rocks at franklins.net. And uh, we're here this hour with Miguel de Acaza, our good friend. Hey, Miguel. Hey, how's it going, guys? Miguel de Acaza, of course, started the Mono Project, which was based on a, uh, a free implementation of the .NET Framework 1.0. And then just has blossomed into this beautiful set of frameworks that run on multiple platforms, uh, the Mac, Linux, and Windows. And uh, now we're talking about, uh, well, we've talked about MonoTouch, which is the way to build uh, iPhone applications. Now we're talking about MonoMac, I think. This is the new thing. Right, right. Well, first of all, you're very kind. Uh, <laughs> you guys are very kind. Well... And, uh, you rock. What can we say, man? Just saying it like it is there, Miguel. <laughs> you the man. <laughs> well, you're still too kind. The, uh, so uh, let me just j jump right into it. The, sure. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more of a Linux guy than a Mac guy. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, I've had always this odd relationship with Apple because, you know, I do like their computers, but I do like Linux more. Uh-huh. Uh, but when we started to do Monotouch... I, I, for the first time, I actually gave them a, a fair trial of their operating system and actually started using it on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, and I have to admit, uh, you know, from a Linux guy that they've done a really nice job with the operating system. Mm -hmm. 
So once we were done with Monotouch, uh, we, uh, you know, this was a spare time project for uh, the lead uh, Monotouch engineer and myself to, to do basically the same thing that we did with Monotouch, but for the Mac. And the nice thing is that it's a lot simpler to do than Monotouch because there's we have access to the full Mono runtime. Um, on the on the iPhone, you don't really get access to uh, to JIT compilation at any point, so we have to do a lot of uh, special things on the iPhone. But the Mac port is basically a straightforward uh, JIT implementation, and all we had to do basically was uh, wrap the uh, the native uh, Apple APIs with managed classes and exposing strong types where Objective-C exposes weak types and kind of uh, improving on the on the APIs uh, that, that Apple offers. Mm. So you should think of MonoMac basically as the as the system Windows Forms for the Mac. So right. just like system Windows Forms was a way of developing native Windows apps back in the day with .NET, this is uh, the equivalent uh, for, for building native Mac applications. And um, and this is unlike Monotouch, which is a commercial product. Monomac is entirely an open source product. Well, it's interesting that um, the, this is using Cocoa, which you could sort of think of as a sort of a, a virtual machine, right? It's sort of like a .NET framework for 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 the Mac, but it, it's not quite. Um, tell us what's different about Cocoa from a .NET developer's perspective. Right. So the way is that think about Cocoa, the way you should think about Cocoa is that it's an, it's, it's an object-oriented API uh, built entirely on Objective-C. So you should really think about it kind of like if, the, if, if this was the MFC or, you know, right. even in some cases, uh, the Win32 API uh, for the Mac. So it's uh, really not a virtual machine at all. It's just no, a it set of APIs. Machine, no. Right. It, it's a native API. And the okay. um, and although the although the Cocoa API is what you typically use for building uh, the GUI applications, uh, Monomac is actually a comprehensive set of APIs. So it goes uh, it goes and supports everything outside of of GUI of just the GUI application building. So, for example, it has services for integrating with uh, with Spotlight, which is a built-in search feature, uh, access to the keyring. Access to uh, image processing, you know, uh, hardware accelerated image processing, um, audio units, which is the Apple abstraction for dealing with audio, for recording, for uh, applying effects, for using plugins. So, Monomac is actually a, the, the the idea of the project is to be a full, a complete binding for doing everything that you need to do in a Mac uh, from .NET. Now, now you have what what happened to the whole Windows Forms? In mono, running on the Mac and running on Windows, this seems a bit, you know, more Mac specific than than that. And why why did we need to go there? Absolutely, the, we still have Windows Forms for the Mac, and we still have Windows Forms for Linux. But the problem is that it does look very much like uh, a Win thirty two application on the Mac. It's not very pretty. Okay, and. And also, the one thing that, you, that, that is worth keeping in mind is that Windows Forms only deals with the UI toolkit. It only deals with the, the user interface. And with Monomac, we we're kind of drinking, we're drinking not only, we're not only, you know, uh, tasting the Kool-Aid, we're drinking the whole Kool-Aid okay. uh, when it comes with the Mac, which means uh, it is an entire binding for targeting Mac applications in the entire Mac stack. 
were not, you know, Windows Forms was just about a few pieces of Windows. And I don't know if you guys remember, but developers had to do a lot of key invoking yeah. into other system facilities that were not exposed to Windows Forms. Uh, our goal with MonoMac is to find the entire Mac uh, API, you know, ecosystem uh, with .NET. So it's gonna, it's, it's a lot more comprehensive than Windows Forms uh, was at the time. Okay. And kind of the other reason is that you do get native looking uh, Mac applications. So. Uh, you get full integration with the system menu, uh, integration with services. There's a couple of things that as a Linux developer or even a Windows developer are very strange in how the Mac does it. Like the way the documents are opened, the way that the Mac enforces an application to be only executed once. So things like that are now at the core of, uh, of building a monomac app. Okay. And, uh, and they don't really map very well to Windows Forms or GPK Sharp. It's, it's still very alien to, to those two platforms. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our very good friends at Telerik. If you're like me, you're using Facebook on a daily basis. You also might want more control on what you're seeing and how you're seeing it. If that's the case for you, try FaceDeck. FaceDeck is a Silverlight-based client application for Facebook now supported by Telerik. The product was formerly known as Microsoft Client for Facebook Beta. The news about Telerik taking over the application from Microsoft was announced by Scott Guthrie at his Firestarter event keynote. FaceDeck has a nice, elegant, black finish touch. You can upload photos with a simple drag-and-drop operation from your file system to your FaceDeck. You also have instant access to your webcam. What's more, FaceDeck will save you from notifications from unwanted applications. You only see what you care for. And of course, it's free. Try it at facetech.telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So that begs the question then, why MonoMac at all? Why not just use Xcode with Objective-C directly? Right. The big difference with MonoMac is that we're basically bringing uh, a different set of languages to the Mac developer experience. And that starts with C-sharp, um, but it includes Iron Python, Iron Ruby, and the recently open sourced uh, F Sharp, um, as well as Visual Basic. Nice. So, if you're a happy developer with Objective C, by all means, continue using Objective C. Uh, what we're trying to add to the mix here is uh, is all of the improvements that that .NET developers have enjoyed on Windows. So, wow. uh, things like link uh, properties, events, delegates, lambdas, um, they're all in the language. And the other area where we think that we've, uh, we added a lot of value is, uh, is we added strong types, um, to the whole system. And, uh, and that means that you get intelligence for free. And it means that you can explore the way that you explore the Mac APIs is, uh, you know, as you code, you, you're offered, uh, the methods that you can call. And, you know, when you, when you call a method, you'll get parameter information. Um, and mm-hmm. since we, we're not really, exposing weak types, uh, what ends up happening is that you actually know what type you have to pass mm-hmm. to a particular function. Uh, this is different from what Objective-C did historically, where uh, where their API basically took the equivalent of .NET, uh, of the .NET object uh, parameter, right? And arrays were always an array of objects, so you didn't really know what you were passing or what was being expected of you or, uh, you know, or anything like that. So... Some, you know, sometimes when you build uh, Coke applications, either get crashes or you get, uh, 
you know, or you get obscure errors because you you don't know what value you have to pass. So there's a lot of round tripping going to the documentation and, and the internet to figure out the proper way of using certain APIs. So we feel that there's a lot that .NET can bring uh, to, to Mac developers um, in that space. And that's where Monomac comes from. Um, now, I'm not going to say that it's super successful. It's still a, uh, you know, it's still officially unreleased. Um, you know, the source code is available, but we don't, uh, we haven't officially made a one point of release. Okay. And right now, every time we release a Monomac, uh, uh, you know, update, we get about 120 downloads of the, of the, of the plugin for MonoDevelop. So, you know, it's not a huge, it's not a huge user base. Uh, but it's been, uh, but it's been, you know, from the people that have been using it, we've been getting a lot of contributions. It's, uh, it's unusually in that respect that there is a, there's a fairly large community of contributors for a project this young. We have about five people contributing right now to the effort. And, uh, you know, we wish we had those kinds of numbers in some other sub projects of Mono, uh, itself. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting new community that we're bootstrapping. And we should also mention that this mono mono uh, develop runs on the Mac, right? That's right. That's right. So it's our IDE. It's our cross platform IDE. Our mono develop IDE is uh, is built with GTK, okay. and it runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Uh, but it, it looks a little bit alien on both Windows and Mac because it was originally a Linux IDE. So you know, it feels a little bit weird uh, for people on other platforms. Hmm. Now, Miguel, I don't have to build my apps in Mono Develop, right? I could still work in Studio, but I have yes. to work in Windows to do that, and then move my code over to the Mac. Yes, you can. You can certainly do that. Um, the, uh, in fact, a lot of people do that with Mono Touch. Um, right. A lot of Visual Studio hardcore users, um, you know, they, you can't take away the resharper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you so. can't. You you can have my code rush when you pry it from my cold dead hands. Exactly, exactly. So we do have a lot of users that do that and, you know, they'll just, you know, they'll all tab between a VM and, and Visual Studio so they can, uh, so they can use, um, so they can use Visual Studio to build the uh, monotouch apps. Uh, but with Monomac, you know, with Monomac, we're still in the very early days. Uh, like I said, we don't have a tremendous number of users yet. Um, we, we, you know, we, we, we announced it in April. Uh, we didn't really, it wasn't really usable until our September or October release, uh, when we said, okay, we feel that it's complete enough now to build apps. And, uh, and that's what we got, you know, we've gotten about a hundred users in the last two months, which, which is pretty good, I think. Um, and, you know, we hope to, to grow this. Um, one piece that is missing, and uh, I think that this is probably gonna, you know, uh, maybe triple, uh, the user base is our bundler for, for the Mac. Hmm. And, and what that does is basically it, it applies the same technique that we use for Monotouch where it will only package the piece of .NET that your application is using uh, to create a self-contained application. Right now, the way that it works is that you do need to install first Mono. It's like, it's like on Windows. First, you need to install the .NET framework. Then you can install your software. Uh, but in the Mac, there's this tradition that applications are fully uh, contained into a subdirectory. Uh-huh. And... Uh, and the way that you deploy an app is by copying uh, a directory. It's 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 true Xcope deployment. So 
this is necessary for the Apple, uh, for the Mac uh, App Store that Apple is launching. So we're about to launch that. And, uh, you know, obviously we don't have time to do it this week. So we're going to announce it uh, in early January. But in early January, you'll be able to to build native uh, Mac apps with C Sharp and, uh, and ship it on the Mac Store. But does that mean that you're when you deploy your Mac app, you're basically deploying a copy of Mono with it as well, the whole framework? Correct. So, well... Kind of. Well, what we did is we built a linker a few years ago. It's a .NET mm-hmm. linker, um, which is available for free. And, you know, any Windows developer could use it if they chose to. Um, but it basically just includes the necessary pieces of of the libraries that you use. So, for example, if you run a Hello World, it would only it would include the VM and it would only include the, you know, system encoding, anything that you need to print, you know, Hello World on the screen. Um, if you opt in to do XML, um, an XML document, it will bring XML document and all of its dependencies. Um, if you choose not to use XML document, but instead you choose to use the um, the streaming reader, you know, XML text reader, then it will only bring that in and it will keep XML document out of your application. So the idea is that we can package your entire application into a, um, into a directory and only include the pieces that you actually use. So the size of your app, you only pay for the for the features that you use okay. in, in and, terms of size. All right. And how granular is that composition? Are you, I mean, you, you were literally talking about different pieces of the XML library would be loaded. Right. If, if you're only using the streamer, it only uses the streamer and so on. So you split them up into further assemblies? No, actually what we did was uh, we created a, uh, a library a couple of years ago called Cecil that uh, lets you manipulate the .NET images, DLLs, uh, and it lets you, you know, extract methods or extract classes. And uh, it's basically uh, the, the same kind of technology that Microsoft uses for their compilers or their uh, tools like uh, IL Merge, mm-hmm. for example. So what we did is base, uh, we built a linker on top of Cecil, and the linker, um, and the linker basically will detect automatically where you're using. So... Uh, Every time that you build your application with a linker, you basically end up with a different profile. If you if you use a new property, the new property will automatically be pulled, and any dependencies for the property will be bring it brought in, right? So if you expose a property that, uh, uh, let's say that, uh, let's say it's called color, right? System dot drawing dot color, um, it will bring in the color and will bring anything that color uses, right? So you don't actually have to build special assemblies. Uh, you continue referencing your assemblies the way that you've done it all your life, you know, uh, MS Core Lib System, System XML, um, whatever else you're using. And the linking stage will take care of shrinking the assemblies to the proper size. So it will only include the bits that you actually use. So if you never use a hash table, yeah. uh, the hash table doesn't make it. Oh, that's a terrible example because everybody uses hash tables. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember there was a service like this for the regular .NET framework, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, I believe that there was a company called Xenocode that sold the um, that sold obfuscators, but they also sold a tool that allowed you to package .NET with your with your app. So I think that they might have had something for that. Yeah, it's, it was something like that. And, and actually, I'm afraid we even interviewed the guy. <laughs> but it was that whole idea of being able to pull the pieces of the framework that you needed and just make it part of your app. Hmm. Right. So, so we do that now. I mean, the big difference is, uh, for us is that we do have the, 
the we do have the uh, the rights to redistribute our stuff, and you know there's no jewel left to uh, to deal with because right. it's all it's all open source. Miguel, we got a question from a Facebook user, uh, Timothy mm-hmm. Perez. He says, "Well, I'm wondering why exactly we need Mono Mac for most cases. Silverlight four desktop mode is perfect." Um, yeah, I think if you if you're happy with Silverlight for desktop mode, then Silverlight for desktop mode is what you should use. Uh, Silverlight has certainly a great cross-platform story, uh, so you will be able to run the same code on on, um, on Linux, on Windows, on. Uh, on, on, on the Mac. So if, if, if you're really into Silverlight, I think that you should use it. Um, and I think that you can create some fantastic experiences with Silverlight and, you know, the tooling for creating really nice UIs is there. And, uh, there's really nothing like Blend for the Mac. Uh, there's Interface Builder, but it's not really Blend. So if you like, uh, Silverlight, uh, and you're comfortable with Blend and you like your Blend pipeline, definitely stick with that. Um, this is aimed at a different kind of developers. This is aimed at developers that want to create native Mac apps, and they need to get access to every single little uh, bit of uh, Mac functionality. And we can certainly talk about some of those pieces. And I get the idea that you, this is letting .NET developers make Mac apps, apps that look like Mac apps, because Silverlight apps don't look like Mac apps. Right, right. So yes, and and I think it really depends on what kind of experience you're 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 aiming for. Uh, like I said, I think that a lot of really glossy, uh, really media centric apps are great with Silverlight. Um, if you want to build the you know a native app like you know the next the next Dropbox or yeah. you know the the next app like that, you probably want to have a native UI for every platform, and that's what Monomac is all about. Right. But does is, is that mean that Monomac is really just about wrapping UI elements? Are there other elements in the Cocoa stack that people need to care about? Well, it's audio, oh, yes. video, and all the networking and all of that good stuff. Right. So we do we do wrap all of that. And I think, you know, the more that I, that I familiarize myself with the Mac, the more I, I'm impressed with the work that Apple has done there. Uh, their audio pipeline is uh, absolutely fabulous. Uh, it's called Audio Unit. And what is really nice about Audio Unit is that um, you basically construct a pipeline of elements. So you say, I'm going to get a record, you know, a recording device, and then I'm going to apply a echo filter, or I'm going to apply a, uh, you know, uh, a voice, uh, a voice clearing, uh, element. So you connect your pipe, and then you can connect that to the output, or you can generate audio files, or you can, you know, yeah. you know, you can do whatever you want. It's yeah. uh, historically Macs have been what studios have used ever since the the computers were powerful enough to do audio processing. Right, right. So all of those APIs uh, that you use for doing advanced audio setup are part of MonoMac. So it's really for really native um, app development. So I think that for the person Facebook asking, it's really, if, if you're happy with Silverlight, uh, that's great, but sometimes you do, like in Windows, you would probably need to do a lot of invokes and a lot of Win32 um, um, programming to access MIDI devices or access some cryptography stack in the operating system or, you know, uh, profile information, stuff like that. So, so you know, I think that this completes kind of the spectrum of of features available for for developers. It's it's not uh, you know we're not trying to promote this as a you should build your apps with Monomac. I think it's a matter of we'll give you the tools in case that you need to uh, to do something with this. 
At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. And that's exciting to me in the sense that that's, I mean, UI elements are all well and fine, but this sounds like an actual better way to manipulate audio. Right, right. So definitely for that. But, you know, they also have things like QuickTime. So it, it has a QuickTime video recording. It has this uh, uh, library called Core Image that lets you use uh you know, hardware accelerated uh, effects. Uh, you can even use uh, your own uh, pistol shaders. Sort of the so, same reason you'd choose WPF over Silverlight. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Are there any other tidbits we need that beyond those things? I think, uh, well, probably one of the, the ones that I'm the most excited myself about is the uh, is the strong uh, emphasis that Apple puts on um, on GPU accelerated, uh, user interfaces. So they have this whole, uh, the whole toolkit is now built on top of a framework called the core animation framework. And, um, and what is nice is that you start to design your applications in terms of OpenGL, you know, accelerated primitives as opposed to regular, you know, buttons or scroll bars. So you design your apps thinking about this and, and the system will, you know, what they did is that not only they do the acceleration for you and the, and the graphics rendering for you at that level, but they also added a whole animation framework. So their animation framework um, is built, is right at the bottom of the stack. So it lives at the same level as, uh, as hardware, as GPU accelerated graphics. So you take those two bits and, uh, and you, they actually build the entire operating system UI on top of this. So it leads to some very pretty uh, user interfaces. And also quite efficient user interfaces because they're all bound to the GPU anyway. That's right. That's right. And that's why, that's why when, you, when you walk into the App Store, you know, into the Apple Store, and you look at the specs of a machine, you, 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 you're left wondering, how the hell can they do this with this underpowered CPU? Um, and a lot of it is because the entire, you know, their entire set of applications is taking not only is not only fully utilizing the CPU, it's fully utilizing the GPU. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's how they pull a lot of, a lot of that. And that's, that's how they ensure that the experience is always very smooth. You know, Miguel, when we were first talking, you said, Hey, you know, I'm always been a Linux guy, so I've never been all that interested in Mac. But as I understand it, OS X under the hoods is uh, a Unix derivative, right? It's, it's the mock kernel, right? Well, is that it based is on FreeBSD? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a mix of, uh, it has a very interesting story of, uh, of, uh, Carnegie Mellon research, uh, operating system with BSD, uh, with more BSD, um, and a lot of new ideas that were developer, uh, later at Apple. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, when I said that I was a Linux guy, it meant, you know, for years I've been building, um, open source software for the sake of making Linux, uh, viable you know, alternative to commercial operating systems. So this is a little bit, you know, it was a little bit of a conflict for me to to work on a platform that would actually, you know, make a proprietary operating system better 
than than the open source operating system that I've been working on for so many years. Uh, oh, but I think that I got over that now, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know I'm a happy macOS user now. Hmm. One of the issues that's always been with Linux is that there was no dominant UI. There was you know all these different choices of different UIs you could go to, which is I mean that's how DOS was back in the day. But it seems like Linux never seemed to get past that. Hmm. Right. There's certainly some of that. Um, yes, you're absolutely right that there's you know even today we still have the big. Uh, the big struggle between the two major, um, between the two major, um, operating systems in, Lin- uh, you know, the two major GUIs in Linux, GNOME and KDE. But I think that the worst problem that we have as a Linux community, the worst problem that we have had as a Linux community is that we still keep breaking everything every couple of months. And, uh, you know, pick any place in the stack, uh, every, every six to nine months, somebody will figure out, oh, I have a better way of doing it. And uh, and we come up with a new system for doing um, anything, graphics, Same thing. audio. Uh, so we live in a constant, you know, it's 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 just ridiculous that we're in the year 2010 and we're still facing the same issues of software is breaking like it was breaking in 1999. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly improved a lot, but, you know, using the Mac has felt a little bit like, uh, like fresh air, like, oh, okay, at least audio works. I don't have to worry about figuring out what, what went wrong this time with the audio subsystem. So, uh, you right. know, I still use Linux every day, but... Uh, but, but it almost feels to me like OSX is this great GUI over top of what is essentially a Linux kernel. Yes, essentially, yes, exactly. Well, I mean, so, look, um, a lot of things are using the Linux kernel. The freaking uh, Android phones use a Linux kernel. It's basically right, a little right. Linux computer. Right, right. So the difference there is that kind of uh, Google controls what goes into Android, um, and Google probably understands better than, than sadly, us, my community, the value of binary compatibility, right? So uh, they, won't, they won't break your software uh, the next time that you upgrade your operating system. And with Linux, we've had this attitude uh, rooted in hacker culture that, if something is technically wrong, we have to fix it, that we should not carry this uh, historical baggage. So when we see us like, oh, we didn't really understand how to do this, and we did it wrong, or, you know, now hardware works differently, uh, the traditional Linux approach is, okay, let's throw away everything that we had before, let's re-expect this thing and do it right, you know, take, you know, hacker culture right, and uh, and we'll fix every app in the world. So we live in this continuous world of uh, of being right, uh, but breaking every app. And Google, on the other hand, realizes that, uh, you know, if you did it wrong, uh, well, you still have to carry that baggage with you. And we'll add the right interface on top of it. So, And that's what Microsoft does, too. Um, you know, they don't break old APIs. They just introduce a new API uh, while keeping the old one going. So, so yeah. Well, Erwin Blanc wants to know, uh, do you work on Mono out of a practical need, a desire to make cross-platform environments, or just because you can? Like, why climb a mountain? Because it's there. Like, what, uh, what motivates you to work on it? What, what maybe, maybe motivated you in the beginning to, to do this? Yeah, it's easier to, to, to track the beginning because, you know, after 10 years, uh, you know, every couple of months you have different reasons to do something, right? Yeah. Um, I think at the beginning it was the 
uh, I fell in love with the .NET framework because it was it gave me a type-safe language, uh, a fairly rich uh, set of APIs, a very you know beautiful language to work with. Um, I, I came from a C background, so I was writing everything in C. So when you compare C versus C sharp, you know it's like night and day. I mean, the differences are just too many. And I, you know, I was a strong mm-hmm. Linux advocate and I wanted to improve Linux. So I figured, how can I improve Linux faster with C or with C Sharp? And that was kind of the motivation to, to do Mono. And, you know, over the years, that has obviously shifted because, you know, now I have this newfound love for the iPhone and, and Android and, and Mac OS. Um, while, um, you know, years ago it was all about Linux. So definitely my, my personal choices have changed, uh, but I still remain very much in love with the, with .NET and the .NET ecosystem. So it's all about bringing the .NET ecosystem to the platforms I love. You know, one of the things I've been really impressed with recently is how elegantly Microsoft has incorporated touch into Windows 7 and into the development experience. I'm wondering in your exploration of of the Mac world, what's it going to take to bring touch to the Mac? Um, I you know I, I think that um, I mean I don't think that they've done a lot of work in that area in macOS itself. I think that they had a clear um, I, at least from what you can see in the public APIs that that we know about um, as of the current operating system. I think that they've made a clear choice that the Mac will will continue to be a mouse and keyboard-based um, user interface, and the iPad and the iPhone are their touch-based interfaces. Um, you Which know, is funny because the, the Mac single mouse button approach works better for touch. It's really a bugger in touch to right-click because there's no right-click finger. Right. Right. Well, they yeah, they, they kind of... They have a couple of things like that, but, but you can, you can, it transpires a lot in the iPhone and iPad APIs because, you know, they don't even have the concept of a click on their APIs. They completely rewrote their graphics layer for, for the iPhone. I mean, there, you can't even port the, the UI elements from the iPhone to the Mac. You have to completely rewrite. They're the different. There's, there's no code sharing of any kind. It's not like Silverlight between Windows Phone 7 and, and server like desktop where, you know, you can share a lot of the code here, you know, for the UI, you can share any of it. Yeah. Um, and they put a very strong emphasis, not, not really on clicks. Uh, you'll, you'll actually notice that on the APIs on the iPhone. Uh, but they have all these notions of, uh, you know, at the very low level, you have things like touches began, touches ended, touches canceled. Um, and it's a little bit different. Uh, the, the pipeline for touch is very different from clicking because clicking, you know, it's a button was held down, button was released. And with touches, you have, you know, the touches began, the touches ended. But also every time that you get a touch event, you can get multiple touches events uh, because you might have multiple fingers on the screen. So yes. you might place your first finger and you get a touchdown event. Then you might place your second finger and then you get a second touchdown event. Um, desktop apps, on the other hand, don't expect a click to happen within a click. Right, so that's the first piece uh, where the entire thing breaks down. The second piece is there's this notion of canceling a touch, um, and applications need to be aware of canceling a touch. And this could happen because uh, the phone pops in and says, "Hey, you got a call," so it needs to cancel the current operation, right? And that needs to be embedded into the app to properly react and not end up in a in a you know 
in an undefined state, right? Or if you drag the finger outside of the screen uh, of, the, of the sensor area, you don't really keep the the handle on the on on this, or you don't really release the button at that point. You actually get a cancel event. Um, so that's a slow level, and and you can already see a lot of differences. At a higher level, um, Apple has this notion of gestures. So you don't really listen to click events. You don't really say, "I want to get this click event," and uh, you know, or a click on, on you know, uh, what does it mean? They actually have uh, gestures. So you say, "I want to recognize a, a rotation." So you don't really hook up to the click event. You hook up to the rotation event, or you hook up to the panning event, or you hook up to the zooming event. And uh, the framework takes care of detecting the multiple touches. And, you know, figuring out if you're rotating, which direction you're rotating. So the kind of events that you get is, um, you're being zoomed in, uh, with a, you're being zoomed in this factor and also with this rotation. So you get to act, uh, based on that information. And they're absorbing a bunch of steps for you there. I mean, they're determining that there are two touches on the same window and then a movement to it. Oh, absolutely. Yes. They do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. A lot of the heavy lifting. So I don't know if they're going to bring that to OSX. Maybe one day they'll do it, but um, you know, I have no, I have no insider information on that. Well, and I've been watching closely. I know Carl has too. All of the crazy hacking going on with the Kinect. Oh man, ridiculous! And I've noticed that the bulk of that is Linux based. Oh really? Well, um, you know, I'm going to get the you know the my plan is to get a Kinect for Christmas, so I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, man. Yeah, everybody wants one. Uh, but yeah, I think I, the videos that I've seen are amazing. There's one, you know, the uh, the one where they move and they have this animal that basically mimics a person. Uh, yeah, the, the hacks are great, and I think that there's a room for for creating higher level APIs to do uh, to do, you know. So not everybody's dealing with uh, you know with textures and depths and colors, and you know, I just want to know if the dude closer to the screen or not. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm laughing about all this great hacking going on because it's largely not .NET hacking. It's like everybody's building for the Connect except the .NET community. Yeah, it's a shame, what? isn't it? Oh, that is ridiculous. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, because there's no there's no SDK out there. Huh. Well, there's a um, driver. Well, we should build an SDK then. Uh, that sounds like uh, like we need to get this party started. That oh is, yes, um, I'd like a little mono Connect, please. That would be awesome. Oh, We're just sign saying. Us up. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, we'll look into it. Well, I'm going to buy my Connect uh, as soon as I come back from vacation. I'm getting a and few nice uh, weeks in Brazil. And when I'm nice. back, I'll look into what we can do with there with that. Yep. So, uh, yeah, sometime in early January, you should have an SDK ready? All right, we've got a commitment <laughs> then. Awesome. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yes, you can count on it. I mean, one of the things I've learned about you, Mikhail, is it's amazing what you could do in a weekend when properly motivated. Right. Now I have a little baby. I, I felt like the whole Moonlight project was like that. It's like you looked at Silverlight, went away for a weekend, and came back with Moonlight. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that's been a longer uh, journey than than we anticipated. But you know, it's it's we love Silverlight. We love Silverlight. Where is uh, Moonlight at these days? Um, we so we're about to release a uh, the the beta of Moonlight. Initially, we're going to do Moonlight Beta Three release. Uh, but we're just going to skip directly and do, it's almost a Moonlight 4 release. And the reason we've been held up was, um, there's a couple of things that we needed, you know, we needed to get some tests from Microsoft. So while we were waiting, we're still working. And, uh, Microsoft had to give us the new codecs for, uh, H264. So, you know, 
we've been waiting too long to do a formal beta release, but we finally got all of that. So in January, we're doing um, uh, the first beta of Moonlight 4. Awesome. It doesn't have absolutely everything uh, that, uh, that Silverlight 4 has. So you really should think about it as a uh, Moonlight 3.5 release. So we're somewhere in between 3 and 4 at this point. Uh, we're still missing some 4 features, but we're pretty much done with 3. And, uh, you know, and we got, of course, you know, the nicest pieces of 4 um, in there, but there's still a lot of things that need doing. So, you know, I think that maybe uh, a year from now we'll be fully complete with the Moonlight 4. Awesome. Well, Miguel, uh, it's it's been a great uh, almost hour here. Thanks for sharing. Well, thank you very much, guys, for having me here. Uh, it's always great to talk to you guys. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.